Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Hey guys, it's me, Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you a huge favor. If you could take out your phone and scroll all the way down to where the ratings and review section are on the app where you listen to your podcast, I would be so appreciative if you could give us a five-star rating or leave a review. Tell us something that you loved about an episode that you heard right here. Not only does that help others to discover the Dear Founder podcast, but it also helps others to check out and discover the amazing women and the stories that we share here each and every week. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. Let's get into today's episode. Today's guest is a friend of mine and someone I've known for decades. Watching her take her company from an idea to a viable product to then raising $2 million in capital has been absolutely mind-blowing. I can't wait for you to meet Jessica Willis. With a 20-year career in the investment and finance industries, Jessica is a self-proclaimed finance wizard. She's a certified financial planner and a certified private wealth advisor with loads of client experience, having co-managed portfolios ranging from $50,000 to $250 million. Jessica has a passion for serving our non-finance speaking friends, including people like me, who just want their messy financial plans organized. She embraces being a finance nerd and loves smart fintech tools that improve efficiency and accessibility. Offline, Jessica loves spending time with her three kids and her husband. Please come in and meet my friend, Jessica Willis. All right. So today on Dear Founder, we have a very, very special guest because this founder is someone that has been my friend for a very long time. I have known her since 2001 when I moved to Chicago. And so I know her in a very different capacity than many of my guests. We've spent many a night out on the town in Chicago. And now here we are adults. She is a founder. I am a founder times two. And now our conversations are very, very, very different. But Jessica Willis, founder and CEO of Pocket Nest is here. And she is going to share in a minute her story. But before she does, I just want to share that a few years ago, before I sold my company, Jessica called me and she was in Chicago because she moved away. She moved to Detroit and she called me and she wanted to have coffee to talk about like founder life. And I didn't even know what she was doing. And we have this coffee. I think we're at like La Colombe or something in the city. And she's telling me all about this app that she's developing. And it's amazing. And it's amazing for people like me because I am, as many of you know, not the best in terms of like financials. Um, I always hire people for that. And she tells me about this app and she's going to like get it started. And now here we are. And Jessica's raised $2 million and she has a full time team of six and she's kicking ass. So Jess, welcome to Dear Founder. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. I'm of thrilled course. to be here. 
I am so excited to share your story and just kind of everything you've learned along the way. So I would love for you to start us off by taking us back to how this got started. And I also want you to tell us what Pocket Nest is. Okay, perfect. Um, we have been friends for decades, which is amazing. So thank you for, for telling our um, audience <laughs> just how old we are. Um, yeah, come conversations are, are certainly different. So Paga Ness, so what we do is financial wellness, um, which means a lot of different things to different people. To us, it means, you know, every single thing that is related to your personal finances that keep you up at night. So I think people, um, different people think of different things for personal finance. Some people think investments or insurance or retirement. To us, it's everything. It includes estate planning and income tax planning and all these things that are stressful. Um, so that's what we do. We, we license our software to financial institutions. So we license our software to banks and credit unions um, insurance companies, other fintech platforms. And yeah, we're, we're having a blast. So to tell you how I got started, um, my whole background is in investments, uh, investment advising and financial planning. And I don't know if you know this part, Lindsay, but I have this reputation with my friends that um, as long as you take Jessica out to lunch, pay for her lunch. She'll give you all the free financial advice that you can listen to in an hour. And I found myself over the years answering the same questions over and over because, you know, my friends would have these life-changing events, like getting married, having kids, and they were sort of left with the, huh, what, what do we do for everything? You know, how much do I need in estate planning? And, um, you know, what do we have to do for insurance and all these other things? So I realized that we needed to create some sort of financial wellness tool that really works for the masses, not just the wealthy. Um, so that's what we've done. It's been two and a half years. We launched in October of 2019. So much work, um, but it's so much fun. And yeah, we're having a blast. We're in about 30 enterprise um, institutions right now. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what the app does. Like take us through the user experience. Yes. So again, we we don't go direct to user, we license to institutions. So if we're licensing to a financial institution, we'll use um, MSU Federal Credit Union. They're, they're one of our customers. So we help rebrand a platform um, and our technology to MSU Federal Credit Union. And our platform is called FinLife for them. And then they deploy it to their broad audience of 350,000 members. Um, each member can access the platform and the user experience looks like three minutes a week. Um, in three minutes a week, we take each person through, you know, one of 10 themes. Um, we ask people questions. We take them through calculators and assessments. And I think the big thing that makes our platform different than others is we're giving each end user a customized to-do list. And on that to-do list is education, recommendations, and then tasks. So you might see something like, you know, hey, Lindsay, we know what your personal situation looks like. We know what your family situation looks like. And the platform knows what your financial situation looks like. Therefore, you need to add beneficiaries to your 401k or, you know, you need to sign your estate documents and you have an extra, you know, let's say $200 that you can put into the girl's um, college savings plan each month, something like that. Okay. So let's go back. You have this idea and it's a great idea. Obviously we talked about it at La Coulomb <laughs> and you have all the financial information. I mean, we know like you are such a great financial resource, you personally, but how, how do you know, like, 
I'm going to make an app. And how do you know this yeah. is what it's going to look like? Like, how do you take this from this idea that you have into a viable product? Yeah. Um, I mean, for, I, I, I don't know what the answer is to that for everybody, but I can say what, I mean, what I did was, I think what worked for me is, um, and, and to your point, I am not a tech founder. Like I don't know, I don't have technical experience. I'm not a coder or a developer. I took one coding bootcamp and um, barely made it through those three hours and realized, okay, I definitely have to pay someone for this. This <laughs> is not going to be where I spend my time. Um, but what really worked for me is I spent that first year, which was probably around the time you and I spoke. So before building anything, I spent a year getting deeply into the Detroit startup ecosystem. Um, and what that means is I went to every like startup event um, in the Detroit area. I connected with as many people as I could. Anytime someone was willing to get a cup of coffee with me, I jumped at that. Um, and through that, Lindsay, I found mentors and advisors who are still mentors and advisors today. I found the people who were going to support me along the way, not necessarily to like do coding or any of that, but I've always said like too old to, to, you know, reinvent the wheel. Like there's just no need to do that. And so, you know, I think something I embraced early on was if there wasn't something I knew how to do, I knew there was someone out there who could help. And then, you know, especially on my kind of my board of advisors. So after you kind of got you, you put yourself into the tech scene in Detroit and the startup scene in Detroit, you've obviously found a developer. Yeah, found some developers. Um, and 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 looking back, you know, the journey's not clean. The 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 coding, the tech, I mean, the code is not clean and pretty. It was um, you know, we hired a I, I will be frank, a subpar contract development company, which was all I could afford with with my personal dollars. I was well, and that was this. my next question is did you pay for it personally at first? Yeah. So in the beginning, okay. I put 25 grand in of my own, you know, I'm married, had a conversation with my husband about it, um, which is kind of interesting because to start with, I would say, Hey, do you think I should, you know, pay for Wix? Should I, should I pay the $25 to set up a uh, website? And I think I had three or four of those asks. And finally he was like, why don't you take a little chunk of money? <laughs> and, you know, um, and so that being intentional about carving out, okay, here's what I'm going to spend on the startup was really helpful for me. So I put 25,000 in, um, found a contract developer who said they could build the whole thing for 13 grand, which is ridiculous because here we are $2 million in, um, and we're still only probably 40 or 50% of where we want to be from a development standpoint. Um, so the point is, you know, it's messy. We, we hired this kind of subpar contract developer. They built something very slowly. It was not clean. It was clunky. It had mistakes. Um, my technical advisor, Ian Zufferman, who I'm still very, very close to, you know, he really helped us through that process of, okay, when is it time to hire another developer? Um, we hired a, an internal developer with a grant um, who came in to kind of help bridge that gap. And then we moved to a better contract developer, Shrine, who is here in, in Michigan. They got us to the next phase until we were able to hire a CTO, which was probably a year and a half into the journey. And now my CTO, um, Chris Wash, has been with us from October 19, and he's amazing. Did you raise money before you went out to like sell the product or did you sell the product first? Um. I don't know how to answer that. I, I'm going to answer it this way. 
the, the, the journey was I put in a little bit of capital before, you know, during the idea stage, okay. we built something super clunky that basically just allowed me to, to, it bought me time, right? It bought me 12 months of, I've gotten to know investors along the way who have said, interesting, keep us posted if you ever got, do a fundraise. Um, and then I had something I could scroll and show them, to, which I think just showed them, no, I'm seriously working on this. Um, and I got a couple people in the early days who said, and by the way, this is not like an easy gift. This was like one out of 300 coffees was someone saying, um, you know, when you raise, let us know. And so I had a handful of those individuals who, when we needed to go from subpar contractor to great contractor, I needed money. And so I went back to those people and said, okay, we have this going on. I had, I had a couple proof, um, letters of intent signed by that point. So, and then we went out and raised 300 grand. So then when did you know this was like, this was a product that was, this was a viable product that was going to be successful? When I, I spent about a year um, in the early days, fully employed at my prior company. I spent about a year getting up at 5 a.m., having coffee with people, you know, writing things down, researching writing a business plan, you know, looking at every other fintech out there. I spent about a year um, getting myself comfortable to leave my job. So I would say it took me a year of idea to, okay, I'm going to go for this. And then once I started going for it, um, it's not like we had a viable product then. I just knew what I was going. I had enough confidence that the world needed this. We could solve the problem that every F- every financial institution was asking for. And so, you know, from then on, completely comfortable with what we're doing. So tell us where you are today. Where's the company? How many users? I mean, I said early on, you've raised $2 million. You have six full-time employees, but like, where are you? Yeah. So um, at the end of, or maybe it was like the end of the third quarter of last year, we had nine enterprise clients. For a long time, we were kind of stuck at nine enterprise clients. Um, the biggest growth we've had is from then. Now we're up to 30 enterprise clients, Amazing. which is huge. So I'm so happy. And it's all my team. I mean, the, the product team, they are building so fast. They're doing a great job. Um, you know, they help us identify what has to be built. And then my marketing team and my engagement team um, just, I, 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 and they support us from a sales standpoint, just have gotten us from early days to you know, something that feels sustainable. So we have 30 enterprise customers. A handful of them are pretty large credit unions. We're so proud of. Um, We have two products. This product we license to financial institutions. And then we have a secondary product, which we license to employers for employee financial wellness. Um, Like you said, full-time team of six. We have just under 5,000 users. Um, But this week, we roll out to a couple substantial... um, audiences and in two really big credit unions. So we should get much significant higher numbers too over the next few weeks. What is where what is your ideal in terms of where you're going to take this? Um I mean honestly this is a mission, right? I think I go back to the story of my friends who are college educated and they know they don't know what they don't know. And there's this shame and embarrassment that, you know, we should know how much I need an insurance. I should know if I need an estate plan, all this stuff. 
it, it is crazy to me that we have made this industry so confusing and secretive. So from a mission standpoint, like where do I want to take this? I want to take personal finance to not be so overwhelming and difficult and unapproachable. Um, from a company and like business standpoint, we just kind of want to keep moving up that food chain. So we're selling to, again, these super innovative large credit unions right now. What comes next are the national insurance companies and then the national broker dealers. And are you still raising money? Right now, we are not raising money. So we're totally, um, we've got plenty of money in the bank right now. We're properly properly capitalized, but we'll probably do another raise like later this year sometime. And I just want to clarify for the people who are, who are listening, your primary revenue stream is from the enterprise clients. Yes. They pay to license your software. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And it's not the end user who pays. Correct. Okay. Correct. I just wanted to clarify. Yes. So you talked about you talked about waking up in the morning at 5 a.m. and having these coffees. And I want to point out that this to everyone listening, that this was before the pandemic. OK, so like this was before we were all working from home and had this like flexibility and we weren't we weren't so visible. Right. Like Jessica was going into an office every day <laughs> when this was going on and she was trying to balance both of these jobs. Um, and I do find that this is a common trait amongst mm. so many entrepreneurs, you know, like, like even myself, I worked, I worked at Hearst and I worked at Bump Club for a full year before I left. When was it that you were like, okay, like, yeah, what was the moment? Was there a moment yeah. that you were yes. like, I, oh, okay, I like, I cannot do this anymore. And I need to just move forward yeah. because I believe in this so much. Yeah. There were multiple moments. So, um, I remember, you know, 5 a.m. Go, I, I loved getting up early at 5 a.m. I would bounce out of bed because I was crazy, right? Because I was so excited about whatever task I had outlined of, you know, today I'm going to find out something about, you know, researching the market for pocket nest. So I would bounce out of bed at 5 a.m. You know, some days I would stay here at home and some days I would go into Starbucks, which I was, I was, um, was the only coffee shop near me that would open that early. I think it was 5.30 or 6 they would open. But, you know, just the passion I had about getting up so early to, to work on it was so fun. And then 8.30 would roll around and I'd be dark and sad that I had to go into my office. And I loved my job. I loved my full-time job. I loved the people I worked with. I just was so much more excited about Pocket Nest. And that probably went on for way longer than it should have. I mean, it was probably six to nine months of me um, getting much more excited about working on Pocket Nest than my full-time job, which again, I had no reason not to like. I loved the people. I loved the job. I loved my clients. And my husband said to me one time, um, well, a couple times. One, I remember him saying, do you not like going into the office? And I was like, I mean, I guess I do, but I just was more excited about Pocket Nest. And um, he said to me one time in some middle of some conversation, he said, oh my God, you, you want to get fired. And I said, that would make everything so much easier because I felt like if someone else could make that decision, you know, how am I supposed to leave a super safe? Did you feel so overwhelmed doing both of these things or were you? Okay. I never had that overwhelmed feeling. I just loved one and didn't love the other. And that felt bad to be doing something I didn't love. And I had this moment of, if this was my daughter's, I have three kids. And I remember thinking if I knew my daughters were settling for something they didn't love doing, I would, I would say, what are you doing? You know, take the risk, take the jump, go for it. 
Um, and so that was the moment when it was like, I need to do this. I can't not do this. I kept feeling like I can't not do this anymore. And have you ever looked back? No. I mean, from the moment, from the moment it, it, it's just been so, it's so much work, right? It's so much work, but it is so much fun. And it's so rewarding. Yeah. It's so rewarding. So you just talked about your kids and that's funny. Cause I was, I made a note that I was going to ask you. Um, so you were a mom of three yes. and you were a mom when this started in yes. you know, 2019 and your kids were younger then and probably needed more of your attention then. So, I, you know, I would love to hear a little bit about how you handled doing that, getting up at yeah. five in the morning and going and working and then going to your other job. Like, yeah. How'd you do that? Who helped? What like, yeah. And how do you, and how do you handle it now? Because your, your time constraints are different now. Of course, you're not working two jobs, but you are a founder and that doesn't get turned off. And sometimes you need to step away from important things and you need to make choices. So how do you handle that? Um, so in the early days, um, I don't know how I did it in the early days. (laughs) I don't know how I did in the early days. I'll, I'll say this from the time I started, from the time I had kids, I've been, I've insisted and have been blessed with a tailored work schedule. So, you know, my oldest is 12. So from the time she was born, I was at a large corporation. And even then I had a tailored schedule. Um, when I went to my last company, which is where I also was, was in the process of founding pocket nest, I also had a tailored schedule. So getting up at five in the morning, twice a week and leaving the house to go to Starbucks. Um, I didn't feel like I was sacrificing a lot of time with my kids because I was picking them up at 3 PM and then spending those, those, that time with them. Now, um, I would say everything is intentionality. I mean, how do we do it now? I am completely committed to when I'm with my kids, to being with my kids. So I leave the phone in the other room. I move my mail app onto the last screen. So I'm not tempted to look at that. Um, that's a great tip by the way. Yeah, It's, it's hard because I think we're like constantly trying to figure out it's ridiculous how often you want to click on your email just to see if some magical deal has closed, but that's not, that's not healthy. Um, and then we have great help. We've got, um, community that's around. We have childcare that's really involved. My, my husband is super involved. So it's all just intentionality and, you know, figuring out the schedule at the start of the week of what the following week is going to look like. You know, and the next question I'm going to ask you, I I definitely want to apply it to all your kids, but I specifically do want to apply it to your daughters because you have two girls and what do they think of this? And also, I mean, you're working in a, in a sector that is very male dominated. So, you know, what do your kids think of what you're doing? Do they know and understand, do they understand what a big deal it is to go out and raise $2 million? I don't know if they understand that. They understand that I've taken a risk. They understand what I'm doing is different than what other parents are doing. Um, my daughter's definitely, especially my oldest has such, she's definitely picking up some entrepreneurial, um, you know, something going on. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but it, it is definitely rubbing off on, on her. She has started her own. She's in um, sixth grade and she has started a newspaper for the classroom and she's delegated jobs to others. And it's, it's so cool to see. So I think some of that runs in the blood. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think they have a sense of, you know, what we're doing, but it's hard as a mom, it's hard, right? Cause you're still feeling, I still feel the guilt all the time, even though um, I don't work a hundred hours a week. 
I'm, I'm at five o'clock. I am pretty committed at being done so I can be with the kids at least for the next three hours. But, um, yeah, it's like, it's never enough. They, they still tell me I work too much. And I'm like, I work way less than, you know, I did at my prior jobs. But it's so nice to be able to dictate that for yourself and to have that flexibility and to be in control, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you talked a little bit at the beginning also about, you know, the networking piece and, and inserting yourself into the Detroit tech scene. And I, I see on LinkedIn because you post like you post a lot on LinkedIn, you know, how beneficial that has been to you and not just in the beginning, but now as well. And networking and utilizing the people in your network is something that I am constantly sharing here and on social media. And I always ask my guests to comment on that because like you wouldn't be where you were today Mm -hmm. without your network. And that's a piece of it. So I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about the benefits of that networking that you've done and also the net, your network new and old, right? Because it's like you Mm. came into this with your own network and you expanded your network. So, um, through the Detroit tech scene and your, your involvement in the Detroit startup and tech scene has also led to some monetary ventures as well. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I would say it's the single most important part of this journey was getting into that community. I tell every founder, you know, people who are thinking about starting a company, find your community. You you can define what that means, but my goodness, you have to find your community. For me, I joined an accelerator, G Beta Detroit, which which is affiliated with Generator, um, and instantly I felt like I finally wasn't alone anymore because it's so lonely. Being a founder can be so lonely. So it was through that and then branching out to all of these other community events in the Detroit startup ecosystem. And now I would say like the Midwest ecosystem, um, you need, you need to, no one can do this on their own. And, and you, I mean, you can't, and you shouldn't, I mean, it's just a waste of, of time and stress. So yeah, find your community, find people to help and use your network. People want to help. People want to help. People totally want to help. And you want to help, you know, yes. and, and I want to point that out. Like Jess and I got on this before we officially started and she was like, I need to hear exactly what you're doing right now so that I can share with yeah. my network. <laughs> and, but I want to share that because that is how the founder world works. Right. I mean, yes. And don't you find yes. that? And it's like, I, like it's when so people refreshing. reach out to me and ask me questions and favors, I want to help as much as I can. And I know you feel that way too. And yeah. I would say a majority of the female founders are are like that. And many male founders are like that too, but yeah. female founders very specifically, don't you, wouldn't you say you want to totally. pay it forward? Totally. I feel like that was probably the most refreshing thing for me that I, I got, my mind was blown. I could not believe how willing people were to help because you come out of the corporate world, especially me being in, I, you know, I've been in finance and investments and it's very much a, like the old boys club, right? It's, it's so much like that. People are competing. People are, um, it, I, I shouldn't knock it, but it, it is, there is a very professional and a very professional world in the corporate world. People are not, you know, bending over backwards as much to, to help. I get to this startup ecosystem and, and people are literally like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And I feel that now, because you go through this, this, you know, painful, difficult, fun, lonely journey. Of course you, you get to the next phase and you're like, how can I help those who have who are going through this too. So yeah, it is awesome. So I want to just turn really quickly to like your customer acquisition. 
because you have a B2B product, you know, you don't have a traditional like B2C, obviously, marketing strategy, right? I mean, it's it's very different. Like your strategy is very different. But yeah. you talked at the beginning of this about your marketing and sales team and whatnot. So how are you and your team and how does one in the B2B world go about marketing your product so that you can yeah. get sales? Yeah, I will. I will clarify that we're B2B to C. And so okay. what that means, the only reason I draw that distinction is we're doing both. Okay. We're doing B2B, but then we also have to support our enterprise customers with end user engagement. Okay. So Ashley, my our, our amazing CMO who also runs engagement for the last two years has created these rebrandable um, engagement assets. So when we bring on a new client, first thing she does is equip them with all of these engagement assets about, you know, helping people log in. So people use... will use the app. Exactly. Exactly. So she's not so people, so consumers will find the app. They're getting the app through their financial institution, but they need to, you need to make sure they're using right. it. And so that's the difference in the type of marketing that you're doing B2C. Exactly. Exactly. And then on the B2B side, so, um, Everything we've done thus far has been organic. So we haven't paid a single dollar to marketing. I mean, you know, paid marketing, I'm going to say, until now. So I think we literally are starting marketing tomorrow, paying for like LinkedIn ads and that sort of thing. But for us, it's the network. So Lindsay, that first year when I was, um, you know, wondering if if this idea had legs, I was having conversations. I think this is so important for for. Um, I think this might be the only important thing I'm saying on this entire podcast. Oh, stop that is. <laughs> but those early cups of coffee are were so valuable because I could sit down with someone who would become a customer one day. I had nothing to sell to them, so I could sit across from them and say, "Hey, Lindsay, I know you know you run digital strategy at MSU Federal Credit Union. I'm working on this idea. Like, wh- what do you think?" And again, because people want to help. They, they tell you everything and, and they're genuine, you know, they, they, they want to see someone succeed. They want to see a product that meets their problems. Um, and so I would say those early conversations led to my early customers for sure. So I think I would say, I just had to guess maybe 70% of our customers now have come from, um, you know, being involved in those early days, trying to, trying to help us. But now you're able to use and leverage your current customers by saying, well, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so is using this technology and you really should too for your customers. Yes, exactly. Case studies and all of that. Amazing. All right. So I'm going to ask you the final question. This is the final question I ask everyone. And it is, what are three tangible, actionable tips that you would tell a founder that they could do today? It doesn't even matter if if they're, it doesn't matter what stage they're at. Three actionable tips. Find your community. I mean, hands down, find your community. So whatever that means to you, find your community. Um, the second, I would say disregard the naysayers because d- d- you just don't have time. You don't have time. Find the people who are going to support you, anybody who's not going to support you. And that might be like really close friends and family. That doesn't mean you need to dismiss them out of your lives, but find your people who are going to support you. Again, that's sort of back to the community, but I would say dismiss the, the naysayers along the way. Um, and then the third actionable, hmm, oh, go for it. I would say the third thing is don't be scared and just take the leap. Um, because even if that, you know, that first jump isn't exactly right, like 
don't be scared. If, if you're getting held back because you're nervous or afraid, don't be. Go jump. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Jessica Willis, founder and CEO of Pocket Nest. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your wisdom, your knowledge, and just your amazing personality. Oh, thank you. You're on your founder. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. So amazing and so relatable. I love that she shares the highs and lows of starting her company and deciding when and how to leave her stable career. How many of you have been in that spot or are you in that spot now? Her words, her advice, and her personal experiences are definitely something that everyone can think about. As always, I'll be sending Jessica's top takeaways out to my email list, so you're going to want to make sure that you subscribe. When you do, you'll also get a lesson every single week to help you grow your business. The link is in the show notes. But for now, here are the top five takeaways from today's episode. Number one, go to startup events, network, connect with people who you can find to mentor and advise you as you're starting your company. Find people who can support you. Number two, if you don't know how to do something, find someone and ask for the help. Number three, your product doesn't have to be perfect. Build something that you can take out and show people. It might be clunky. It won't be your final product, but take something that you can show. Number four, what is your mission? How is your company going to solve a problem and actually help people? Number five, find your community, whatever that means to you so that you can get the support. You don't want to feel alone. Being a founder can be lonely, but when you start somewhere and then branch out, you can find your people. You cannot do this on your own. You can't and you shouldn't. Find people to help because they want to help you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to take out that phone, scroll all the way down and click that five-star rating or leave a review. When you do that, it helps others to find not only Dear Founder, but the amazing stories that we share here, like the one we shared with Jessica today. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who has an idea, make make sure you take out that phone and text them this episode. Or you can share it in your Instagram stories and tag me. I'll share some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday. 